from the Diocese of Gallup. Welcome to Crozier Cast. I'm Suzanne Hammonds, Director of Communications, and as always with me is your host, Bishop James Wall. Bishop, how are you today? I'm great, Suzanne. How are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, can't complain, especially as we move into summer, which is always nice. And you being from Phoenix, I'm sure you're enjoying the warm weather. This is nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't get humid here, which is nice. Yeah. And I think the high, when it gets to be about 95, everybody thinks we're going to die, which cracks me up. And uh, no, yeah, this is, this, the weather's beautiful here. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah. Great. Well, um, today we wanted to cover a, a topic that you may have or may not have heard about. It's been in the news a little bit, and that is uh, the importance of the Eucharist. We, we've done an episode on the Eucharist before, but we wanted to talk about maybe a little bit of the, the, uh, the news about sometimes why certain people maybe are denied publicly communion um, or are told they're not allowed to take it. Um, and so maybe first we should, we should cover why is, this, why is this such an issue? I mean, the Eucharist has been called the, the source and summit of Catholic life. So, mm -hmm. so why, maybe um, just kind of sum up the, the position, why is the Eucharist so important to Catholicism? Well, I, I think maybe we take even a look at a word communion. We receive, talk about receiving Holy Communion. And it's important that when we receive Holy Communion that we are literally in communion. And, and then the other, I think another important thing that comes from St. Paul that he said that, you know, the person who receives Holy Communion unworthily um, literally brings, you know, brings condemnation down upon himself, damnation down upon himself. And, and that, that's not good. We should never want that for anyone. We should want eternal life. God desires that all people come to know salvation, so we should we should want eternal life for, for others, not condemnation. Yeah. And and so I think that's that's pretty it's 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 always been important. It's, this isn't nothing new. But I think probably it's it's um, it's so popular right now uh, because we do have in our country we have a we have a president, a baptized president in the White House. Uh, who is a, a, a major proponent of abortion, um, major proponent of abortion, contraceptives. Um, he's even witnessed a same-sex union. You know, there's all these different things that are, that are, that are intrinsic evils. I mean, they're acts that are always wrong, and he's, he's a proponent of those. And so it, would, it could be argued that someone in like um, our president, the current president, uh, should not be pre presenting himself for Holy Communion. Uh, not just him, but somebody like that too. You know, somebody who's who's out there and and is uh, is making sure that they're putting into law uh, things that protect abortion. You know, the the, the the taking of an innocent life in the in the womb, uh, or putting into law you know, where everyone's re required to. Um, pay taxes toward that, you know, right now the, the Hyde Amendment, uh, which he used to be in favor of, now he's all of a sudden he's not in favor of it. Um, and, but, uh, you know, things, things like that. Yeah. And so we, we, the kind of the term that we use, we talk about Eucharistic coherence. And, you know, Eucharistic coherence is, is you know, when we look at, at Holy Communion not be distributed to those Catholics who uh, maybe in poli uh, politics or, or medical practices who are not in, in full communion with the church um, because of these, these they commit these grave acts and we're, I just gave you some example 
And the big one for us is, is abortion. It's not our only issue, and some people try to accuse us that, well, that's all you care about. No, that's not. That's the, but it's the preeminent issue. And when we have, from Roe v. Wade, 1973, from 60 to 70 million of our brothers and sisters have been put to death, um, and that, that, that's why that makes it the preeminent issue. That's why it's so important. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of where, that's why that's, that's, that's so important right now. Or, like you said, to give another example, like sometimes those seeking an annulment in the process, if they've gotten a divorce, uh, aren't they oftentimes, until the annulment has been granted, they're not to present themselves to communion? So if somebody is, is say if somebody is married mm-hmm. and uh, not married in the church, then they would be somebody who shouldn't present themselves. Um, if somebody is married and gets divorced, but not remarried, then they can still present themselves. But if somebody's married, remarried outside of the church, then they should not be presenting themselves. Because again, they're not in yeah. not in full communion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it, there's there's all sorts of different different reasons. You know, when sometimes when we have weddings or we have funerals, you know, you have a bit of a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I always announce right before receiving Holy Communion, I invite people. Those Catholics who are properly prepared, in other words, they're, they're not conscious of having committed a mortal sin and uh, with, without first going to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, um, that, that they are in full communion with the Church and, and prepared to come forward and receive communion, they're able to do so. And I'll say Catholics who are not prepared, I invite them to spend that time just for prayer. And then, uh, or if you're not Catholic, right, you can't receive either. And uh, again, use that time for prayer. In other words, it's the only reason to come up at that moment is to receive Holy Communion, yeah. and um, so we, we we try to do that, and we have nice little guidelines in the USCCB about um, proper reception of Holy Communion, who who can be uh, admitted to it and who can't. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I think sometimes people view those maybe who are not Catholic or even regular Catholics they view this as. Uh, cruel, just like how sometimes you'll say, like, if someone's been excommunicated, excommunication, I think, in other Christian or, or non-Catholic circles has sort of been co-opted or maybe carries a different connotation. Well, they but think it's kind of like the Queen of Hearts, you know, off, off, off yeah. with their heads, right? But it, That's yeah. not what it is. It's medicinal. Yeah. And it's it's like it's like when somebody's having heart trouble, uh, troubles and they, they put the paddles to them and it kind of shocks them back to life and... and and that's the, the purpose of uh, excommunication. It's medicinal, it's medicine, in order to kind of shock them back to their senses and bring them back into right communion, full communion with the church. Yeah, and so similarly, it's not when someone is denied communion publicly or privately, it's not like a, you know, a permanent thing, right? You I mean, there's, there are ways that they can bring themselves back into communion with the church. So yeah, what, repent, what? repent and believe in the good news, right? So, you know, if, if, if the sin is is something that's of, of such public nature and that repentance also has to be it has to have some sense of public uh, have a public nature to it um, for example a, 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 a you know a, a pro-abort um, uh, a politician who is you know advancing legislation in, in order to protect abortion and in order to you know so so lives are being lost and, and uh, uh, taken in the womb, um, then that would require some sort of, of public announcement, right? In some way, somehow, they would have to do that. But 
the most important thing, first and foremost, is that interior conversion, to have that conversion of heart. And you remember our Lord, when he, the first words that he talks about when he comes on the scene is repent and believe in the good news. So the, the beginning of the good news is to repent, turn away from anything that's sinful, and turn back to the Lord, believe in the good news. And so that's, that would be necessary for somebody to do that. And if somebody were a, um, a politician or maybe a, you know, a physician that, that, that is either promoting them or, or, or actually performing abortions, you know, they would have to, the most important thing of all the things they'd have to do is they'd have to go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, um, make sure that they confess that sin, um, they, all the, the, the mortal sins that they've had they've had committed, and then they would um, receive absolution and, and make an amends not to commit that sin again with the help of God's grace. And, of course, like you said, even going back to the reference of the uh, administering shock, like trying to bring someone back to life, this is, uh, you write in, your, in an essay that we'll link to, but this is, your concern here is primarily for the soul of the person who's being denied. It's not like you're doing it because we dislike them or disagree with them. No. It's because it's it's the opposite. You love them and you want them to bring them back into... You know, what is love but willing the good of the other? And what's yeah. the greatest love? That, that, that union with God. Yeah. And and so that's that's so important. It's all about the care of the souls. And uh, St. John Bosco has a famous line. It's one of my favorites. Um, I used to sit in the confessional when no one was there and they, they didn't no one was coming, I would, I would pray that little prayer, and he would just simply say, give me souls, take away the rest. Yeah. It's all about salvation of souls, because it's all about eternal life with God in heaven. We're, we're made to know, to love, and to serve him in this life, and, and hopefully in the world, in the life to come. Yeah. And I, I think that maybe we get so used to it, those of us who go to Mass regularly, and maybe if you haven't been to Mass in a while, or if you've never been to Mass, I mean, there are so many things that Catholics do that point to the Eucharist as the center of our of our lives, like, you know, kneeling, genuflecting, adoration, things like that. So what are, are, are there some other ways, or, or why do we do those things? Why is there a tradition of doing these things to venerate the Eucharist? I would say because the, the, the Eucharist is never ordinary, right? Um, it, it, is, it is the bread of life. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It's he who is present to us, substantially present to us in the Eucharist. And I would say because we, we can never show enough reverence toward the Eucharist. Never show enough reverence toward the Eucharist because it's our Lord present to us. And he, he comes to us. He wants to impart his very own life within us. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has my life within them, right? And I will raise him up. And, and so Jesus uh, gives us this gift of himself in the Eucharist. And um, we can never show enough reverence toward him. So that's why whenever we approach the Eucharist, whenever we come into Mass, everything we do is anything but ordinary. It's extraordinary because it's foretaste of the heavenly banquet. It's uh, an encounter with the living Christ. It's, we just can't say enough about it. Yeah. Um, and you know, this debate, I think, it comes and goes generally. And it seems, maybe from the outside looking in, that it's political depending on who's in office. I mean, it's not political. It's always, like you said, pastoral. But is there something that, you know, putting aside the debate that's going right now, you know, looking forward to the future just permanently, are there things that you would want to say to anyone who's listening or to the Catholics in, in your care about how to reverence the Eucharist or to properly prepare to receive it, regardless of 
political office or anything like that? Sure. Well, I, I think that um, before you approach the Eucharist, that you have to you have to examine your conscience and be very honest with yourself. And don't try to fool yourself, but be very honest with yourself. And if you are in, you know, have knowledge of being in a state of mortal sin, don't go up. Yeah. Don't go up. Sometimes it's good for us to to fast from something or to to not be able to receive something because it it gives us a greater appreciation. And so don't go up. And um, and then so then what do you do? Then you you rectify the situation. You fix the situation as soon as possible. So if you're Catholic and you're not married in the church, then you have to take care of that before you're able to receive Holy Communion. So I would say take care of that, call the deacon, call the priest, go to the local parish and get those things taken care of. And um, so, there, you know, there's, there's that. Um, but if you're, you know, conscious of having committed a mortal sin, um, you know, the biggies, right? The ones that fracture our relationship with God then what you need to do ASAP, and there's no reason for waiting, is to get to the sacrament of reconciliation. And maybe if it's been a really, really long time, you know, give a call and say, Can, it's been, for, been a while for me, can I come down and, and go to confession? Now if you do that, you're gonna go face to face. But if you don't wanna do that, just go to confession and make sure that you, you, uh, you go behind the screen and go anonymously. And if you're worried that Father might recognize your voice, go to another parish. <laughs> Go across town, and uh, we know we all know these good Catholic tricks that we like to like to do, but you know that sacrament is a sacrament that's was given to us by Jesus when He said, you know, receive the Holy Spirit who sins you forgive are forgiven those you held bound are held bound, because He under He knows He knows us, He knows our fallen nature, and He knows that we continue to experience the effects of original sin, that we can give in to temptation and we can to we can't fall. But Jesus loves us so much and he's so merciful to us, he doesn't want us to remain in sin because we're not made for sin, but rather we're made for a life of grace. We're made for that, that union with the most holy trinity. And so he gives us this beautiful um, sacrament in order to bring us back into right relationship, to, to heal that, that fractured relationship caused by our own uh, giving into temptation and, and entering to sin. And then when we're, we're, we're conscious of not, you know, of being back in a, a communion, then what we can do is then we can we can approach our Lord's our Lord's uh, banquet table, right? We can approach approach our Lord in the Eucharist. And again, when we approach our Lord in the Eucharist, it's never ordinary, it's never casual. We always want to show reverence. It's Jesus. It's the one who was you know uh, second person of the Trinity incarnated, came into the world, suffered, died, and has risen who gives us of his body, blood, soul, and divinity substantially present to us in the Eucharist under the form of bread and wine. And so it's, it's never ordinary, it's always extraordinary, and we, we can never show enough reverence to our Lord in the Eucharist. So we never want to approach him in a, in a casual sense, too. All right, so as we uh, kind of move towards ending here, is there anything else that's been on your mind about, about this topic recently? Yeah, we're, we um, are about ready to um, have our doctrine committee um, they're going to draft a nice little letter for us for the bishops' conference, and um, we're just going to do a simple up and down vote. Uh, my understanding at this upcoming meeting, which will be virtual, and then what that will do is that will that will uh, give them the permission to continue the work that we already had them doing, 
um, to kind of address this issue of Eucharistic coherence. And then um, when we come back together in November, hopefully in November we'll be able to come back together, then we can have good in-person discussion. And um, so that's, you know, it's, it really, now's the time to do it. We really can't wait anymore. I mean, we just, lives keep, uh, continue to be lost and, un and we don't want people coming forward to receiving Holy Communion unworthily. So it really is an act of charity, act of love that we're doing this. And it really is about the care, care of souls. So what I would say is, um, for all of you listening, please pray for us, pray for the bishops that we can, uh, do the right thing, which I believe is to continue to move forward with this, and um, and that we can um, share the good news about the, the 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 true presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, and and how um, Jesus wants to come to us. He wants to impart His very own life with us, but we want to make sure that we we do so worthily, right? We we make sure we approach Him not conscious, not being conscious of having committed a mortal sin, without first going through. Uh, reconciliation um, or fixing whatever sort of state of life that we might have uh, some problems with so yeah that's yeah give me souls take away the rest as Bosco John Bosco said and uh, it's all about the care of souls quorum animarum excellent all right well um, some things that we mentioned we'll link to in our in our show notes but also if you if you'd like to learn more you can read um, Bishop Wall's uh, essay in uh, first things called the for the care of souls just search that um and thank you for joining us and uh, thanks again bishop Paul. thanks suzanne god bless